All right, Todd and John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Zach. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Good to be back. All right. It's been a while since we all were on a podcast together, but the reason I asked you both here is because I want to talk to you about something that's been making headlines recently. In May of 2018, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, as I'm sure we're going to talk about it today, submitted a request for public comment to a proposal to amend the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards, which is you know, a list of 75 rules that automakers must follow before selling cars to customers. Among these rules are the presence of traditional controls used by human drivers, such as a steering wheel or pedals or things like that. Uh, Waymo responded to this request for comments with a letter basically requesting that NHTSA remove barriers, such as the presence of these traditional controls, so that autonomous vehicles can be deployed and begin being sold to customers. Um, there's more included that I'm sure we're going to get into, but with that said, I'll, I'll kick it to you first, Todd. What's your first impression with this letter from Waymo and, and the request for proposal in general? Well, I'll start with the request for proposal. I was struck as I dug into it, and this is the third in a series, and it's a promised one of three pieces. So it's a complicated bit of rulemaking that NHTSA is attempting to undergo. But what I was struck with was the openness of their question. They truly are trying to figure out how to get their arms around regulating autonomous vehicles. And I thought Waymo answered that with really just hurry up and do it without any specificity that would be useful to NHTSA. So I was a little bit surprised by the urgency of Waymo's response that was different than some of the other respondents. You know, it's interesting you say that, Todd. That's actually what my first impression was at well. Just how many times words of immediacy were used uh, in Waymo's letter. And I think it really underscores that these companies feel confident about their technology. Well, you know, some companies more than others. Um, but it also seems somewhat responsive to this public sentiment that, you know, I think the public thinks that this technology is still far away away. These companies keep saying next year, next year, but what they really mean is you know, five years, 10 years, et cetera. And to me, the immediacy really stood out that Waymo seemed to be saying, hey, we're ready to go. We're ready to deploy. We want to begin using these vehicles that don't rely on human drivers, not even human safety drivers like they have now in their Chrysler Pacificas. And I would, it just really stood out to me, whereas I think otherwise uh, these companies could have kind of hid behind this and said, hey, we're ready to go. It's, it's on the federal government. You need to talk to your local representative or you have to talk to um, these legislators to get this uh, piece of legislation in order for us to get going, but it's on them. Instead of that, I think they actually chose the harder path, which is to stand out and say, the technology is ready. We're waiting on you. And that really stood out to me. No, I think that's right. That comes through loud and clear is them saying, don't make us wait, we're making progress. And I think the sort of the background, and we touched on this in our first substantive episode of the podcast, is really the length of time it takes for rulemaking to happen. The Department of Transportation to promulgate a rule historically has taken as much as eight to 10 years. And so I think that's some of the background in a way I may have a little more sympathy for Waymo and some of the other manufacturers and autonomous vehicle system manufacturers and why they're saying, no, you need to get on this now is the realistic assessment of how long it's going to take. No, that's right. And so even though they may be asking for it now, maybe they know that now means 
five or seven years down the road, not six months. Um, John, what were your first impressions? So picking up on some of those same points, particularly the public sentiment, uh, I thought it was interesting to see this interplay between the old adage of move fast and break things and we're going to disrupt mobility and, and how that is going to play in the same sandbox as big government, which operates on an extremely different timeline. And we've talked about that in the past, but, but a, a, an interesting offshoot of that is how is that going to impact the, the battle for public support of these vehicles? Will it be won by, we take things slow and steady. We are going to demonstrate to the public at every single uh, step how we worked with governments at all levels and we checked all the boxes we needed to make sure that everything's as safe as it, as it could be and as safe as people wanted it to be. Or is there that continued push for, as I said, move fast and break things. We're going to show you something really, really cool and we can't wait to get it in your hands. And that's going to make you want to get into business with us or get behind the, well, the non-wheel of one of these vehicles um, and how that's going to play out. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting you say move fast and break things because I believe that was first, uh, you know, coined by, I think, Mark Zuckerberg uh, from Facebook. And one thing kind of getting at what you're saying, the mentality of maybe Silicon Valley or these technology companies meeting big government bureaucracy, uh, one of the first instances we had it seen those two people or those two ideas meet were the Facebook hearings, right? In front of uh, the Senate. Uh, and I think one of the things that stood out is how little these rule makers or these legislators really understand about how this technology works. In that case, it was Facebook and the way that technology can be used or the way that technologies uh, can be sold to you know, marketers, things like that. But I think, and maybe I'm giving the government too much credit, I kind of see this request for comment as them saying, we don't want to have another Facebook situation. We want to understand. Please help us to get to the point where we understand what technology is in place now, what we need to do to promote that technology, and how we can kind of get out of the way while also ensuring the safety of our citizens to make sure that there aren't issues in the cups down the road. I mean, am I giving the government too much credit? Well, I think the problem is, e even if that's where they are, you're dealing with an industry that always wants to be on the cutting edge. And so by the time you've explained the current state of things to those lawmakers or the regulatory agency, whatever, chances are something else is going to have come out that then needs to be explained. And it's just constantly going to be difficult to, to appease both of those conflicting interests, keeping things as, as current as possible, which in a lot of instances for this technology could mean as safe as possible, while also not moving so fast that no one in government or public has a good idea or a good handle on uh, what's driving these autonomous vehicles. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think part of the tension is there's just no way to keep these lawmakers in the loop since this is so dynamic of a field. Uh, but I think the flip side to that is we also don't want our regulators to give up and make you know, these regulations so um, bare bones that they allow for the unsafely deploy of these vehicles. So I think that tension's always going to be present. And I'm not sure that three lawyers on a podcast can come up with a better solution. But I do think it's a good start that this, you know, the federal government is asking for input 
as opposed to we're going to regulate you and then to the extent you have a problem with it, we'll see you later on the back end. I think this is a step in the right direction. And I think it underscores how, and we saw this in AV 3.0 and, and you know, for our listeners, you can go back and listen to our episode on that. We saw that the federal government's position on this is very laissez-faire. They want to promote these vehicles, promote this technology. They've encouraged states to work with these companies to kind of get out of the way. And to me, this just reads as another continuation of those same efforts as a, hey, we want to bring this to market. We know that right now, human drivers are causing accidents that eventually uh, autonomous vehicles will be able to protect against. And let us know what we can do to help. But I do think you're right, John, that there will always be that tension of updating and informing these legislators is always going to you know, bring back uh, this, the pace of progress. But I think at least the government here is admitting that they've done them things before in the past that haven't made a lot of sense or they've been a hindrance and they're trying not to do that again. So if I can jump in just with a point though, I, I'd like to draw a distinction between the legislators and we've seen how their failed attempts and there's actually some noise going on that they're gonna try again this fall to enact some sort of law versus the rulemaking process that we've seen with NHTSA. And I have been struck throughout this process, really beginning with say 2014, 2015, at how deliberate and impressive NHTSA has been undertaking, trying to figure out what rulemaking would look like. They had that Volpa report, you know, as we've talked about before there, AV 2.0, AV 3.0 have both signaled that they've wanted to do this. One of the pilot projects that they've undertaken is the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute has tried to figure out what rulemaking will look like in concert with various AV participants and NHTSA. So for instance, Waymo cites it in their letter, how they've been part of that research that the VTTI is undergoing. And I think, you know, again, as I said, when we started the podcast, what strikes me is no one really knows what they want the rulemaking to look like. One of the things that strikes me as I dig through the comments is how various manufacturers, automakers, or even AI participants in the industry have all come to different conclusions about what this rulemaking should look like. So my sympathies go to NHTSA because this, while they were thoughtful comments, they didn't answer the question in any way that there's a consensus. Yeah, I think that's right, Todd. And I think that's the problem is that no one has really decided what this should look like. Every kind of stakeholder has their own take on what would help them. But I think the end result is, I mean, if Waymo's comments were taken to their conclusion, it would be open things up, let us have at it. And I think we know that that system won't work based on things that have already happened or fears that people may have of you know problems with safety and regulation. Um, but I think that there is going to be a tension that needs to be worked out. And I'm not sure what the right solution is. Uh, Todd or John, do you guys have any ideas? Well, let me, let me throw this out there. I'll assume Zach's role for a second. How necessary do you think that this is to self-driving? And some of this comes into the interplay that I'll often hear people talk about when they see an article that says how far we are away from self-driving. And while I agree that we may be a decade or more away from true self-driving, 
I think that we are very close, if not already, at what the average consumer would think of when you say self-driving. And the reason I ask this question, and I'll, I'll sit back and let you guys field it, um, is it a little bit of a red herring to say that the government is holding things back? And it, just because we need to have a steering wheel, we can't make advances in self-driving. Maybe we can't have that living room feel to an autonomous pod, but we can certainly have self-driving and we do have self-driving to varying degrees already. I think, uh, just jumping in first here, to me, it's again, getting, I made the point earlier that I was surprised that these companies would come out and kind of say, the government's the one holding us back. We're ready, we're ready, we're ready. Because it seemed like an easy cop out to say, the government's the reason you don't have this technology. But I think from the way you framed it, John, I think it kind of shows that they kind of are still using the government as a cop out, right? To your point, this technology doesn't only work if there's no pedals or steering wheel. In fact, I would actually make the argument that they probably will have more success selling these vehicles to consumers, whether that's through direct to consumer purchases or to other businesses that then use them for consumer transportation. I would make the argument that they'll have more success with these vehicles having pedals and having a steering wheel, because I think that ultimately the public, the majority of the public isn't ready to get into a vehicle that's a living room on wheels, as you put it. So to me, after hearing kind of the way you framed that, I actually think I might reverse course a little bit and say, this kind of still feels like a cop out. This still feels like a way of saying, hey, government, you're the reason why we can't have this technology on the roads when really the government can just come back and say, oh, really? You can't engineer around having a steering wheel and pedals in the vehicle? Um, to me, maybe it is a little bit of red hanging. What do you think, Todd? No, I certainly hear that viewpoint, but I will play the contrarian and talk about the time scales because really, you know, we touched on this a little bit, besides the rulemaking taking traditionally eight to 10 years. So yes, it's true that for current purposes, we have all the authority we need between exemptions. And we had the GM petition, which sort of kicked this off earlier this year where we had a response and GM sort of moved beyond saying, well, we put a petition in for an exemption, we're waiting for an answer. And it's true that none of the current research requires any greater authority than the manufacturers have. But if you look at how they're going to commercialize this, they will need eventually some sort of guidance from NHTSA for the FMVSSs to get that exemption, something so they can produce and commercialize these vehicles. And Waymo's petition or really response I suppose, to the request for comment, tease this up because they say specifically, look, you're assuming that these vehicles are going to be available for purchase. That isn't our business model, but we still need to have this guidance because it's going to shape how they design this. And if you look at the time frame for a new, or a new vehicle type to be manufactured, you're talking a two to three year lag time once those designs are baked in. So it isn't something where we can sit back and say, you don't need this now. It's true they don't need it now, but they are going to need it eventually. So to take the position of an OEM or Waymo, something like that, you do need to get started right now, or you're gonna be at a point where you can't have the largest automobile man 
market in the world, the United States, available to manufacturers, they're going to have to market it outside. And if you think about what that does for the economics of a manufacturer, all of a sudden the AV market looks a lot less appealing. Yeah, and I agree with a lot of those viewpoints. I, I think there's a lot of validity to the idea that these car companies aren't looking at what's going to happen next year in two years, but they're looking at what's going to happen in 10. And to John's earlier point, they know that it's going to take a while to get there from a regulatory standpoint. So why not begin the push now? But, and maybe it's because I think that the best content is when you have people on either side, but kind of pushing back to your pushback, I would say if I was the federal government to some of these companies, Hey, we already helped you out. We already sent out this AV 3.0 showing that we're supporting you, showing that, we think this is the future and helping states to kind of back down and work with you to the extent they can, just because it doesn't work into your business model or be more profitable for you to be able to design these vehicles now, doesn't mean that we can throw caution to the wind and, you know, adjust accordingly. I think you're right. There is some nuance to what's being asked. I think while there is a lot of immediacy language, it may be immediacy relevant or relative to the natural tendency of the regulatory reform that they're asking for. But I also think there's something to be said for, we get that you want it all, but that's just not possible. And it's, it's not even really that plausible when we consider the safety concerns from I mean, a large contingent of the potential customer base. And I think you're right that while a lot of these vehicles aren't going to be sold to consumers, they're going to be sold as fleets or to other companies that want to use them for other purposes. I think by and large, we're going to run into attention if, these companies do move too fast uh, to the chagrin of people like the three of us who want this technology tomorrow. I think you're running into problems where a bunch of people are on the road with these vehicles saying, this is, you know, this is adversely affecting me. I'm scared for whatever reason. I don't trust these vehicles. I'm sure you'll see this the first time one of these vehicles without pedals and a steering wheel gets in an accident. People will say a human driver wouldn't have made that mistake or whatever. And I do think the government's allowed to strike a balance between safety and the pace of innovation, even if it's not as profitable or as favorable to companies like this to have to plan for the deployment of these vehicles in two phases, one compliant with the current standard, you know, with steering wheels and pedals and one without. Yeah. And at a time when most of the general public is still skeptical of autonomous vehicles, this doesn't look to be a situation where these manufacturers can turn to the public and say, call your local congressman, tell them that these process needs to be sped up. I know you're clamoring for these products. We're trying to get them to you, but we just can't get the government to move fast enough. Uh, it, it is kind of an interesting play to, to try this approach when most of the public and, and most of the government in appeasing their constituents would probably be fine with pumping the brakes even more than it already is. Right. So if I can put words in your mouth, and again, this is just for purpose of discussion, are you saying this is a problem in a uh, solution in search of a problem then? Because there, there are no limits now to what you can deploy in the way of an autonomous vehicle, federal limits. So there are some states that have tried to put some light regulation on there. But as long as you meet the FMVSSs, you can do whatever you'd like. And this is something some of the comments make pretty clearly, is you tell us how to go the next step safely is what we're asking for your guidance on. So if we take the position that 
the public's not ready for this, essentially we're hamstringing that movement towards a safe deployment because we're saying, look, you can already put that vehicle out now fully compliant with the FMVSSs. So I, I think it's a reflection of the unfortunate interplay between the pace of technology and the pace of regulation. And I, I understand to your point, Todd, why people in this sector would want to get, knowing how slow, how slow things can take, uh, why they would want to get well ahead of, of these discussions and, and start things now to plan for six, eight, 10 years from now when the landscape is going to be very different and when the technology is going to be very different. Um, but it may be a little putting the cart before the horse um, where we're trying to push for these advancements that the public support isn't yet there for. And, and the chicken and egg problem of that is it's hard to get some of that support until you can show people what these can do. And it's hard to do that until you get the regulations and round and round we go. No, John, I think that's a really good point and, uh, and well said. Um, did, did you guys have anything else you wanted to touch on before we get out of here? I, there was one comment in particular that I wanted to call attention to. It was made by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies dated July 29. So they actually got in at the original deadline instead of waiting for the extension. But it was particularly thoughtful in going in and pulling apart the safety case for autonomous vehicles. And we'll put a link in the show notes to this particular comment, but it goes through drawing some footnote, dropping some footnotes and talking about how NHTSA has mischaracterized the 2015 statistical summary. It throws shade at a 2017 RAND report but it does so in a respectful way, going in and actually digging into it. And what struck me was, it was one of the more thoughtful comments from outside the OEM or the AV developer. Most of the comments that were in were fairly, you know, frankly, consistent with what John's characterized, where people say, we're afraid, we don't want to do anything. And so there were a lot of comments there, but instead the and I guess I would pronounce it NAMIC, but the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies came in and said, wait, 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 wait. And it's a, you're trying to build the case that safety is going to be furthered by autonomous vehicles. We don't think your evidence shows that. So I think this particular comment merits study because it was so thoughtfully done, even though there are some, I think, obvious answers to the points they make those arguments deserve to be heard and understood. Yeah, I think that's right, Todd. I think it's important to kind of consider all the stakeholders in this. And I think it's really great that we're kind of fostering a discussion between not just OEMs and car manufacturers and big government, but also kind of the ancillary players and the insurance providers are certainly some of them. Uh, well, I want to say thanks you guys for coming on the show. And uh, I thought this was pretty insightful and helpful. So uh, until next time, thanks so much. Thanks, Zach. Thank, thanks, Zach. Appreciate it.